are entering the Freedom Hut. The crazy left is not backing down from its calls to abolish ICE. In fact, the protests and the calls for this insanity are getting louder from those who call themselves Democrats. Also, the Trump administration is rolling back some Obama-era rules about affirmative action. We'll talk about that. And the politically motivated stalking of Trump officials continues. Why have the progressives completely lost all sense of decorum? Well, I guess maybe they've lost their mind. That and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America, you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. Honor and privilege, a pleasure, as always, to be here with you. We've got some things to talk about today. Today's one of these days where we don't have some one all-encompassing news story. You know, it's not, oh, gosh, testimony on Capitol Hill, and I have to sit there for six hours and watch, you know, members of Congress, oh, I'm pretending to care about the law, but really I'm just doing this for the cameras, you know. There's going to be more of that, by the way, when they get into uh, the final stages of the Mueller probe, trust me. Uh, but this is this is one of these days where I can look at what's going on in the news cycle and talk to you about whatever just comes to mind, which I think sometimes is our most interesting, our most fun days, actually, here on the show. Uh, and I, I want to dig deep into some things that certainly have, have grabbed my attention, uh, and I think will grab yours as well. Oh, but if you want to call in, I'd love to take some, some calls today. 844, because I know some of you are going to be busy tomorrow, with your, you know, your barbecuing, your grilling, your red, white, and blue apparel wearing, uh, cocktail party, you know, whatever you got planned. Fourth of July is a great holiday, isn't it? Gotta love Fourth of July. Also, grilled meat is just the best kind of meat. It just is. I don't know. You could talk to me about the smokiness and the, but I it just tastes better. But since a lot of you, I'm sure, tomorrow are going to be doing that, you know, tonight's a good night for you to call in and tell me what your thoughts are about the subject matter of the day or the things that are on your mind, whatever that may be. This whole abolish ICE thing, I want to start with that. As I've been, I, I, I came at this from the perspective of, well, hold on, this policy doesn't make any sense. This is, this is a, a nonsensical thing to say. And then I walked you through how there's the, you know, the history of U.S. Customs Enforcement before Immigration and Customs Enforcement were merged together, you know, United States Customs Service, and how you need to have this. It, it, to abolish ICE would mean you would not have anyone there to do vetting for people who are actual asylum seekers. So if you want to talk about being heartless and mean, there'd be none of that. Uh, you would have... No one to work on these cases that come into the country where people say that you know they've they've you know their family's been separated or anything else. I mean, it just it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And then also interior enforcement, right? Because customs, or rather border patrol, isn't driving around the country. Although they will go, I think, up to a hundred miles in the U.S. interior. They won't drive around the country going into meat processing plants and other places and try to do these roundups of illegal uh, illegal alien labor so they have no interior enforcement it's just not a but you know i have to stop myself because 
it's really not about a policy. And that's why you've got uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and uh, a, a bunch of other Democrat politicians now repeating this refrain about how it's time. To, I think Cory Booker has also said, it. you know, abolish ICE. Time to abolish ICE. I spoke earlier today to the Democrat uh, would-be governor of Maryland. You know, Maryland's kind of a funky state in that way. It is overwhelmingly blue, very blue, and very anti-Trump. But it also has a really popular governor who's a Republican. Now, he's a moderate Republican. Some of you might refer to him uncharitably as a rhino. And I don't think that would be... I don't think he'd be far off with that one. But to be a rhino in Maryland is is a tough act to pull off, I think. But this uh, this challenger said, you know, no, we shouldn't abolish ICE. We we need, we need ICE. And so I say to myself, oh look, some people are figuring this out, but it's not. It was never about the policy. I need to stop thinking about what's happening from the perspective of legislation and law, and and just look at this much more through a community organizer, Alinskyite lens. And then it all starts to make sense. Then you understand why they're chanting abolish ICE. And then you know where this comes from when, when they're, uh, and hat tip Peter Hassan at the Daily Caller for this, that vandals at an abolish ICE protest threw a brick through the window of the Nebraska Republican Party's headquarters in Lincoln, Nebraska. So now you have an understanding for, okay, well, this isn't really just a, they know they're not going to abolish ICE, so why say it? What is the point? But then I I take this to what we discussed yesterday with Ocasio-Cortez and how she is part of this group, these Democrats, or the uh, socialists, rather, of of New York City, that want to abolish profit. You're never going to do that. So why say it? Oh, that's right. It is because it's about mobilization. This is why you have ICE protesters berating cops, for example. What do cops have to do with immigration and customs enforcement? Local law enforcement doesn't do the functions of ICE. In fact, what we see overwhelmingly is because of sanctuary city jurisdictions across the country. Local police are largely prohibited from doing even the bare minimum of assisting in immigration and customs enforcement. The bare minimum. They don't want to do it. So you have... Ice pro, you have these protesters against ICE. They want to abolish ICE. And now they're getting angry at police? Here's what it sounded like in Philadelphia. Play 13. And you wouldn't arrest me. You have no war. You have no shame. You have no war. You have no shame. You said if we took the tents down, you would arrest nobody. But you still arrested people. What the f- wrong with you? You have no shame. You have no war. That's why you're a f- up. That's why you never finished high school. That's why you're here. Yeah. Wait a minute. You can't be a cop if you finish high school, I don't think. That's the only way you can be a... You don't need, you don't need to be a high school. You don't need anything to make them a cop. They didn't do anything. Any, they, this is why they, they're cops. Because they have such loans. Now, for a woman to go up to uh, police officers and say that they have... Just because they're police officers... Remember, the, the cops are at a protest usually to keep the protesters safe. Okay. They're there to protect the First Amendment rights of the protesters. I've seen it time and again in New York. So they often lose sight of this, though, and, and somehow they think the cops are the enemy. But that woman was saying to this police officer, you have no shame, you have no worth, 
You didn't finish high school. That's why you're here. What does that have to do with abolishing ICE and Immigration and Customs Enforcement? Why, why be verbally abusive to police officers who, by the way, even the most idiotic leftists would have to admit, if we didn't have cops, it would be Mad Max, right? If we didn't have law enforcement on the streets, we would have big problems in this country immediately. I think, I think anybody who has a, you know, a, a, a functioning brain knows that. So why be so nasty to a police? Why take this tone? It wasn't just there also. Uh, it, there were chants about how police are racist. Play 12. No justice, no peace, no racist police. No justice, no peace, no racist police. No justice, no peace, no racist police. I've heard that chant before. This is all a retread. You've heard it as well. Not just the Black Lives Matter protests, but before that, at the very virulently anti-cop protests that were a part of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Folks, these are all. this is just all the community activists left coming back together and trying to get energized and chance. This is Alinsky 101. It's not about policy. It's such a stupid thing to say that it could only be about saying it, not doing anything, right? They literally just want to chant this because they know it's never going to happen. But the chant becomes its own justification because people feel good and they feel fired up. and They want to yell, abolish ICE, abolish ICE. What comes after that? Why abolish ICE? Wouldn't you want more people in immigration and customs enforcement so they could process asylum claims? Wouldn't you want more people involved in this process so that it could be more orderly and efficient and therefore people with the right to come into this country would be able to? Or those who have an honest claim for asylum? But it's about, you see, they're, they know that the whole game at the border has been overwhelming the system. Also straight out of the Alinsky playbook. Overwhelm the system. Bring it down to its knees. Find the seams. Find the weak points. And attack and abuse them. Don't win the argument. Don't win people over to your side. Collapse the system. And then, and then you'll have control. I know it sounds almost conspiratorial, but... Rules for Radicals is one of the most important books I think any of us could read. I mean, it's certainly in the top. And for American politics today, it's in the top 20 or 30. If you remember, in, Alin- in Alinsky's writings, he said that once you have a people mobilized on one issue, and I'm paraphrasing, you have them mobilized on all issues. Abolish ICE is just a chant to channel the rage of the left. And the idea being the more... You get them fired up over this. And the more you get people out there and seeing protests and the greater the demonization of immigrations and customs enforcement, but really of the Republican Party and the Trump administration that is in charge of ICE as it is an executive branch agency. The more they can do that, the more they can pull that off. The greater they think is the possibility that they will win seats and then have power. So it's not a policy argument. It's an emotion argument. It is a. It is a fire-up-the-base approach. But in, it is also scorched earth as a means of firing up the base because it does real damage to people's perceptions of immigrations and customs, of federal law enforcement. The same people, the same activist groups in some cases, who were just so upset about any criticism of senior FBI leadership obviously involved in highly politicized decision-making against Trump, Against the Trump administration. Oh, you're undermining democracy. And, you know, 
those same people are now saying, oh, how, you know, this is, ICE is terrible. ICE is for losers, for bad people. They're, they're criticizing the individuals who work for the agency. By the way, it's also a tactic of border extremists, uh, including groups like La Raza. They will go after people who work for the Border Patrol. They'll call them traitors. They'll call them evil, all kinds of things. You see, on this notion of an Alinskyite collapsing of the system, one of them, either, there are two obvious ways that you can do it. There are two ways you can bring America down without military force, in fact, without firing a shot. At least two ways that I know of. One, collapse our financial system. The best way to do that is to create a debt time bomb that is, that eventually makes our currency worthless. And if you look at the history of currency over the course of centuries, of fiat currency, there is a 100% success rate with fiat currencies of being eventually worth nothing. Not something that you'll hear many people say, but it is true. Fiat currencies all go under at some point. Just a question of when. So that's one way that the system can collapse on itself. People will say, oh, Buck, how far out is it? I don't know, but they're playing the long game, folks. Another way is to so overwhelm our borders and the immigration system with new arrivals, constant arrivals, illegal crossings, drug smuggling, human smuggling, illegal activity, that the American people no longer have faith in law enforcement's ability to have borders, and then everything from there just begins to crumble. Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust law enforcement when they can't actually tell me who's in the country and who's not. Are you going to pay your taxes knowing people are coming and going as they please without paying any taxes and facing any penalties? Are you going to feel bound by the law? And this is really what it comes down to. When the law has been so decimated, when people have been able to run roughshod of the law and essentially make it irrelevant when it comes to our borders and our sovereignty, are you going to want to hear from you know federal bureaucrats about how the pond in your backyard is a wetland and you're going to get a $40,000 a day fine for it? I don't think so. I mean, you don't want to hear that now, but you definitely don't want to hear it if, it, if we become a near-open border state. Open borders is the end of this country, if we ever get there. There are activist groups that are pushing for it, and they think that if they're able to seize power maybe one more time, if they're able to be in charge, they'll push us so far down the pathway that it will be irretrievable for us to actually be a rule-of-law society with some hope of the incredible run we've had. We think it's going to last forever, this prosperity this unique political culture, this experiment that we have as a republic, we think it'll just go forever. Remember, a republic, if you can keep it. These Alinskyi types, whether it's the border or any number of issues, they're trying really hard to make sure that we can't keep it. Something to remember as we go into the 4th of July here. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. If you would like to chat, I would love to chat with you. Give me a ring. We'll be right back. the Democrats' message right now, which is uh, oppose everything and do nothing. It's frankly gotten really sad that their party has no message, no leadership, no solutions, and they want to fight a president who's trying to lead and who's doing amazing things for our country uh, and things that are really hard to argue with. Yeah, they, they do have. The Democrats have no message right now about anything. And I think they're going to find out that, quote, Trump is Hitler, end quote, is not inspiring 
to anybody who's not a little deranged. Uh, it's not going to work, especially with a country that is doing as well as, as this country is. And, and I'm wondering when they think this is going to change, when they think that there's going to be a, a moment for the message to all of a sudden come through. Uh, it's July. Nothing happens in D.C. in August, and no one's really paying attention to the national political race in August either. So we got September, October. Yeah, two months, really, for them to make the case, the American people. I just think it's not going to be a case that they're able to make. And I also think that all of these, all of these uh, incidents, and I'll talk about the latest ones, of what I call politically motivated stalking, where you have members of the Trump administration who are followed around by people, harassed, and you know, Pruitt is the latest one, although Pruitt's making it a little too easy for the left to uh, pick him apart. I, I'm a bit frustrated with the guy. He is not helping himself with some of his decision-making. But it, it's we've, we've reached a point here where there's obviously something really off about a lot of people on the left. There's obviously a real problem uh, with the way that they're approaching politics, discourse, trying to be respectful, trying to be people who have manners. I know that sounds a little like, oh, do you have manners? But no, really. we got to be decent enough to each other. We can't have folks getting accosted every time they go out in public. And the EPA administrator? You're going to go after the EPA administrator? Really? We'll talk about that Pruitt situation. But I I always feel like that's a, that is an in-kind donation to the Republican Party in many ways. Uh, when they're really nasty to Betsy DeVos, when they get up in Mitch McConnell's wife's face, and then when Elaine Chow is like, oh, oh, really? You want you want to mess with some of this? She was pretty awesome. I think it is a life goal. Find somebody who's got your back like Elaine has Mitch's back. Uh, but it, it just shows us that they're not making a case. They're not making an argument based on what's going to make your life better. So why would you show up and vote for them? Why would you care? If you're an independent, and there are a lot of independents who listen to this show because, you know, they like smart stuff. Uh, if you're an independent, you, you think that this is a good idea? You're going to hand power over to these people? All they talk about is how everything should be free and Trump is Hitler. Well, everything isn't going to be free, and free is often the most expensive thing of all in any country. Uh, and Trump is not Hitler, and people who say so are idiots. So I think we can defeat the DNC messaging machine pretty easily. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. It's a call for anarchy, and it's amazing that it has caught on and it has been spreading even among um, what were thought to be mainstream Democrats. I mean, it's insane. You don't have borders. You don't have a country. And when you're a welfare state like the U.S. has become, it is just a giant sucking sound from all over the world. You can't control it, and it means anarchy. It means uh, Mike makes right, and then that ultimately leads to a totalitarian dictator coming in and uh, rounding up the military, taking over. It's the way countries end and a new dictatorship begins. Louis Gohmertz. Worried about it, for sure. I think he's on the right track here. Uh, ab- abolishing borders, what it would actually lead to. Some pretty some pretty scary stuff, folks. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. And they're not going to be open about the end state here, the end goal. But make no mistake about it. 
Every empire before ours, and yes, America is an empire, just is a, is a benevolent one, but every empire before ours has fallen. Every empire has crumbled. So if we want to be the exception, we got to fight, and we got to keep things. Uh, we, we have to, well, support the founding principles and stay within our charter. What is this country all about? What are we really trying to do? We don't have borders. We don't have a country. It's just the truth. Trump says it all the time. He's right. It's a straightforward statement of an absolute truth that everyone needs to understand. And we also need clarity on which side believes in it and which side doesn't. Uh, but I want to move for a second here to this this Pruitt situation. Uh, this guy, you know, I, I want to, I want to like, <laughs> I want to like Pruitt because I know he's doing good things. I know he's doing good things at a policy level at the EPA, but he keeps getting hit uh, on with all these different things of where he's, you know, he's just looking a little bit like he's a little grasping, always trying to get a little extra on the side, always trying to line his pockets a bit. And, but, you know, at the policy level, EPA side, he's doing great stuff. I mean, the Obama era of regulations on the environment were just, it was just all pushed by this crazy quasi-religious belief on climate change. And it's just, it's nonsense, right? It just slows down industry. It hurts us. Everybody wants clean air. Everybody wants clean water. It's not about that. This is other stuff. This is about government regulation and control of your day-to-day lives. Because of this narrative that the world is, is the world is literally coming to an end because of CO2 in the air. It is when you just just step back from all the noise and all the politics. It's a crazy thing to believe. It is more rational to be worried about the prospect of a large asteroid hitting the Earth and killing all life in it. That actually has happened. Right. That, that we could face again. We are not going to have to worry about CO2 choking the planet, all right? It's just not, it's, that's not a rational belief, but they're basing policy now on that. So, so Pruitt is rolling back all kinds of things the EPA, the Obama administration did, bad stuff, and that makes me want to defend the guy, but then he does some dumb things. And he's, you know, taking a little too cozy with lobbyists and everything else. And then what you see is one of these instances that, I call politically motivated stalking. That's what it is. Politically motivated stalking where somebody uh, finds a Trump administration official, goes up to that person and harasses them in public because they work for the Trump administration, which is the United States government, folks. I mean, I think that's getting lost in a lot of these discussions. This is not Trump's EPA administrator. This is the EPA administrator of the United States. Right, when you're talking about the disrespect shown to the White House press secretary or disrespect shown to the attorney general, these are the these this is the government we have. You know, you wake up day in and day out with the government you have. This is who we've got. And you don't have to agree with people, but some respect for the office would be nice. If you can't manage some respect for the office, well, then at least some basic human decency would be uh, would be good. But. You know, you had a woman who was this exactly? She went up to uh, Scott Pruitt was at Teaism, which is a place here in D.C. I'm here in the swamp, so I'm I, all these swamp 
cases of uh, of the politically motivated stalking that come up. I'm like, oh, that place. I walked past that place yesterday, right? I- I'm here. I'm I'm among I'm among the crazies. And a a woman was rang. This is from the Washington Post. Wrangling her two year old into his seat, waiting for her pancake. A thirty third thirty three year old teacher. He saw the EPA administrator. Um. And somebody with this woman, this teacher, named last name Mink, uh, she saw the climate change skeptic turned environmental chief, as it says here in the Washington Post, and decided to go across and and accost him. Right, and this is and then and then she you know she videotaped this too. This is how it went. Play clip one. Hi, um, I just wanted to urge you to resign. Um, because of what you're doing to the Urging him to resign. Now, I will say that she's, by the way, that was an after action where she was taking it upon herself uh, to tell everybody what she said to him, right? And that was kind of her, her version of what it sounds like she was reasonably, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, she, she wasn't overly aggressive. How about we'll say it that way? You know, she's, but it's annoying. It's just annoying. It's not a it's not a cool thing to do. It's not a I don't think it's a respectful thing to do. It really bothers me. And it's a trend. You did not see this during the Obama years. You know, you didn't see it during the Obama years after it was clear that Obama completely and utterly lied, straight up lied to the American people on if you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. That was an intentional lie to fool people so that they would not oppose a legislative action that Obama was pushing for that would bear his name. It was the worst kind of lie for a politician. It's the kind of lie that affects you and your day-to-day life. Nobody was tracking down uh, the different Obama figures involved in that and harassing them. We, we don't do that. You know, there was this huge surge of, of political activism with the Tea Party. I remember I really came into media at the height of the Tea Party. Um, and that was right when, or you know, right around then. It was right after the uh, the midterms when the Tea Party had swept into power, and or had put in power Tea Party back candidates. You know what I mean? It made it sound like the Tea Party won in some kind of a coup. Like we are in charge, but but I came to media then, and I just remember there were all these huge rallies, all the stuff going on, but it wasn't about individual harassment. It wasn't about being nasty to people. It wasn't about tracking down. Uh, you know, Valerie Jarrett or David Axelrod or, you know, Jay Carney or any of these people and being mean to them as a means of trying to express some kind of a political view. And I really do think that you saw that the difference between those who become politically active on the left and those who are politically active on the right. We just approach these things differently. 
We view this as a part of our duty as citizens, and uh, but there's always a, a restraint and a respect uh, for our fellow Americans in our political discourse. It's just not mirrored on the other side. They just don't agree. They, they act like maniacs. And this woman brings over a two-year-old daughter. You know, this is such a this is another thing that you see on the left, you don't see on the right using kids as political props. This is a favorite tactic on the left, whether it's using kids at the border and their plight in order to ram through what is effectively an open borders policy, right? Oh, just let everybody into the interior of the United States. Don't worry about it. Oh, if you don't, if you don't agree with that, you must not like crying children. Um, the kids at the Parkland shooting, using them to push a gun control agenda. And now you just have people that will write, and it's become pretty widely mocked by conservatives, is you'll have writers for some big newspaper, or, you know, one of the big left-wing media outlets, and they'll say, you know, my 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 five-year-old daughter came up to me and said, "What's going to happen to the constitutional precedent of Roe v. Wade when this this monster of jurisprudence in the mold of Scalia overturns it?" They'll share this publicly. It's like, you know, I don't think your five-year-old said that. I don't think that that's I don't think that's a thing that happened. But, you know, this woman brings her two-year-old with her, and it's not enough for her to just say, hey, I'm an adult and I disagree with you. It's like, you know, here is my two-year-old. My two-year-old likes clean air and clean water and animals. It's like, lady, we all like clean air, clean water, and animals. But her mind has been poisoned against Pruitt and against this administration. You notice she didn't come up. To, she, has, she has no idea what she's talking about. And this is what you see with all these activists. They hear things. They hear phrases. They are being mobilized in a Linskyite fashion by placards and memes and social media hashtags and phrases and rage on TV and the virtue signaling that you see everywhere on social media. But she didn't, she, she didn't go up to him and say, well, you know, this is really up. This is up. This regulation, let's say, that deals with, uh, you know, coal, uh, coal power plants. I'd, I'd really like you to reconsider this because I'm concerned about the damage that it will do uh, to the, you know, to the environment in, in West Virginia for people and the air quality there. That's like what a serious person would say, I mean, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, but that's at least a discussion to be had. Not, you know, you're selling out for interest. You don't care about clean air. You don't care about clean water. It's just a caricature. And what you find increasingly is that the, one of the reasons the left is so angry and so mad is the only version of the right that they can intellectually tangle with is a caricature. It is a it is a giant WrestleMania with straw men. That's what we're up against now, or that's what they're up against. To borrow from Churchill, there are pyromaniacs in a field of straw men. They're not looking at the country as it is and as it's actually uh, being handled by the Trump administration. They have this contorted, cartoonist view of what's going on. And that's why they'll go up and harass people and say things to people that are just, you know, this woman, look, she she didn't call, you know, she didn't curse. She, you know, I, I will give her some credit for not being a complete moron. But, you know, the guy can't have a, he can't go to teaism in D.C. here and have a drink or have, have tea, whatever it was he was doing. Got to be harassed. There are so many ways. You can tweet at him. You can email him. You can write his people. You can write him emails. But now you see him, and you see everybody seems to think that their opinion is the one that gets to determine national policy. Their feelings are the ones that have to be heard by national-level politicians. It doesn't work that way. 
It just doesn't. You can share your thoughts, but you cannot force your thoughts. And this showing up and berating people in public is a childish tantrum in the guise of political engagement. That's what it is. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Much more show coming. Stay with me. Do you consider yourself today proud to be an American? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. No. No, not the America we have right now. No. no. I'm not proud. No. Are you proud to be an American? Definitely not. No, I'm not proud of America. I'm not proud of what we're doing what we've done i think we need to stop thinking that we're the best nation on earth because that's just egotistical and it's not accurate we're pretty great though (laughs) we're close really comes down to it i feel like it's more just like a tool to be used to get people to join the army and what what about america right now would you consider yourself not proud of oh i mean i think the answer is pretty obvious Um, look at the news. There's a plethora of things that are going wrong. Orphan border issues. So were you not proud when Obama did it five years ago? I think that it's different now. A lot of the not proud of being an American comes from, like, the history of the U.S. Any place that would come to mind that would be better? Better than the U.S.? Probably some nice little socialist country in Europe. Hat tip campus reform for that video. You know, who wants to guess? I mean, if we had to if we had to just put it out there, how many of those college kids you think are Democrats that are not proud to be? I'm going to guess 100 percent of the ones that said they're not proud of this country or not proud to be an American are Democrats. This is a big cultural divide. You have this. You know, on the right. People are proud to be Americans on the left. People are proud to think they're better than America and that they are the only ones who can fix it. It's a very important psychological separation between right and left in this country. And and look, it's just true. Patriotism isn't cool on the left the same way it is in the right. You know, support for the military is not as widespread and universal on the left as it is in the right. You find somebody who doesn't support our military or or has anti-military sentiment, I'll show you somebody who, if they vote, votes Democrat. I have never in my life actually met a conservative who's like, yeah, I don't support the military. Or, I think the military's not there. I've never. I've met plenty of Democrats who think that we're, you know, uh, we're, we're Al-Qaeda's air force in Syria and we're doing all kinds of terrible stuff here and there. And, and uh, although actually Al-Qaeda's air force, I think that might have been a Rand Paul comment now that I think about it. That was in a specific policy context. Strike that from my barrage of commentary there for a second. Point I'm making is that the left is predisposed to be much more critical of this country and also predisposed to view uh, predisposed to view what's going on here as a function. You know, do you love America? Are you proud of this country? I mean, Fourth of July is tomorrow. You and I say yes. That didn't change when Obama was president. I did not love this country. I did not think this was amazing. I didn't cease to feel incredibly lucky to be an American. Because Obama was president, I thought the guy wasn't a very good president, but it's temporary and we got through it and, it's, you know, we're all going to be fine. On the left, though, now it's they it's not just that they, they don't like Trump. They don't like America because of Trump. And this is a widespread sentiment. You have way more people on the right who are proud of proud to be American than you have on the left. And it is indicative of much larger ideological and cultural trends 
ones that we should not just pass over and ignore. Um, you know, why is that the case? Well, it has to do with the the fundamental views of right and left about our views in this, our views, our role in society, our role in America, the relationship between subject or citizen and state. Hour two coming up. Hey, do you have the problem of your pets digging under your fence or predators from outside trying to dig under the fence to get at your pets? You're probably tired of trying bricks and wood and concrete. I I can solve this problem for you folks. Dig Defense. It's amazing. It extends the protection of your fence underground. You install the base of any fence to protect your pet and your property. It is so easy to install. A hammer and gloves are all that you need to install Dig Defense and stop the dig. No more chasing after Fido or Max or Buck or whatever you call your dog as he leaves the backyard. You can now make sure that he stays in there safe with Dig Defense. Go to StopTheDig, uh, StopTheDig.com, and during the month of July, you can get promo code BUCK10 up there for 10% off. That's StopTheDig.com. Use promo code BUCK for 10% off your Dig Defense order. StopTheDig.com, promo code BUCK for 10% off. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. July 4th Eve. Went all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, until you lit off that M80 that you've been saving for this time, and all of a sudden, everybody's stirring because those things are loud. Be careful, folks. Safety first. Fireworks. You know, Producer Mike, I've never really been one for fireworks, I gotta tell you. Not even just the the uh, the fireworks displays that you go out and see places. People, you know, ooh, ah. And look, you got kids, it's fine. You gotta do the oohs and the ahs with the kids there because it's exciting and the wonder of youth and everything. I get it, right? But I got friends who used to be like, dude, oh my gosh, like I got like like 10 M80s and you put them together and it's like a stick and a half of dynamite or whatever. And I'm like, I've got like 10 sticks of dynamite and I'm going to take them and I'm going to like put them in the trunk of my car and just like light them and see what happens. I'm like, I think that's a bad idea. Like fireworks and poor decision making is something you really want to avoid. I think we can agree on that. I agree with that. Yeah, have you? Have you ever? I, I mean, I did see somebody once. I'm not going to get it aware. Decide to use a a uh, what's the thing with like it? It, it kind of shoots. A, I think it's a, not a sparkler. It's like it shoots out of Roman candle. They're dangerous. I, I saw. Yeah, I saw somebody with a Roman candle shoot one way too close to one of his buddies, and uh, that was not good. Yeah. It's not good. Is by the way, what I I have no I'm guessing D.C. because everything the, the only thing that's allowed here is communism. Every everything is uh, banned in D.C. But like you're a Pennsylvania guy, is pencil? I think Pennsylvania is one of those states where New Yorkers will drive to it. Like, oh my gosh, they sell so many fireworks here, right? You're allowed to buy them, in Pennsylvania. I, I believe no? so. Yeah. I uh, yes, I've seen the the buy fireworks here at billboards when I'm driving the right. Pennsylvania Turnpike. Because yeah. I think in New York, it's not even. I don't think you can do it. I think you do it. Yeah. You know the close thing you get to fireworks? You remember those little snap things you used to throw in your kid? Little yes. snap things? Oh, yeah. Like, pew, you know, you throw those? Yeah. What was that all about? I don't know. They're fun. Yeah. I used to I used to love those things, man. Yeah. Run around, throw them. I think they got banned from my school. Yeah. They also banned slap bracelets, which was a period of time when 
every like adolescent guy that I you know adolescent male I knew was like I'm gonna wear a I'm gonna wear a neon pink slap bracelet. We didn't really think much about maybe this is a sharpened metal thing that you should be careful with because you know they started breaking. Do people even know what I'm talking? Do you remember slap bracelets? It was a phenomenon for a while. It's a piece of metal that they would paint and you would slap it over your wrist. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. I generally stayed away from things that were neon though. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> You know, you know, hey, hey. All right, style icon, Quinn. That's enough <laughs> not what out I'm of saying. you. That's not what I'm saying. That's enough out of you. No, no, anyway, yeah. So I'm just thinking of like the funky. Th- oh, you remember Reebok pumps? I'm really getting into the nostalgia now. Did you, uh, Answer me honestly here. Did you believe that Reebok pumps, when you pump them up, would help you jump a little higher? Because um, the commercials made it seem like they would. Yeah. Probably. I, I kind of. I, I was. I tried to convince myself that there was some way that it was like air cushioning for your foot would help. No, false. I still had zero ups. Buck could not jump. I did play basketball for a while. All right, side note. Let's get in. Thank you, Mike, for the uh, fireworks expertise. You've no no fireworks mishaps for you to share with us, right? Like you've never you've never been that kid that blew up his garage trying to build homemade fireworks. I'm assuming. No, no. But I do like Fourth of July, and I do like fireworks because usually. Yeah, that's accompanied by burgers and steaks. and. Of course and you love Fourth of July because so you work on this show and you love America. Of course. America. Which, this is, that's the only, I mean, when we get resumes, yeah. they basically better say at the top, like, yeah. I love America yeah. or else there's no, no chance. I didn't even, no my way. resume was just an American flag. That's all I sent in. That's all you needed. Yeah. Obviously worked. Yep. There we go. Here I am. All righty. So let's get into the latest here on the Trump administration doing something else that's going to upset people who are worried about the erasing of the Obama legacy. Uh, and, and But this also ties into the uh, judicial nominee situation and what's going to happen there. And there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff here, a lot of stuff here. So as some of you, well, I guess all of you who listen to the show know, I think that affirmative action, as it is currently enacted, I mean, affirmative action as it stands today is constitutionally, ethically, and logically indefensible. Indefensible. I mean, I know how they defend it. They'll say, oh, but, you know, it's about, uh, it's about diversity. You know, diversity. And when, you know, when there's, there, there's more diversity, and that's all, it's just like they repeat the same word. That's it. You say, well, what does that even mean? Diversity of what? What's the proper amount of diversity? What, what's going on here? And, and over time, if you look at decisions, because remember this, and, and don't let them get away with this. Affirmative action is 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 not about prom, uh, predominantly anymore. It's not about uh, making up for the legacy of slavery. It's not about uh, you know it, it kind of an emergency, short term legislative action to help African Americans in this country after centuries of uh, discrimination. You know, a- actual legal discrimination right i mean and and the ownership of human beings as property that was the initial but affirmative action now is look i'm, I'm gonna i'll tell you some stories I, affirmative action is people getting into stanford who have blonde hair and blue eyes and claim to be from polynesia based on like some great aunt somewhere or something you know a, a case that i know about affirmative action now is a friend of mine applying to harvard claiming that she was, in fact, African-American and being told that she was not because she was born in Egypt. And while Egypt is Africa, 
and therefore she had adopted America. She had become American, but you know she claimed this uh, hyphenated nationality of being actually African and then American. They did not buy that. That that did not fly. I mean, you look at all these different ways the system is being abused now, and people are trying to game the system. That's what this is now. People are gaming the system left and right. And, you know, no one ever comes up with an explanation for me of why is, just just putting this out there, like on my freshman floor, and I can only speak from my own experience in college of what I saw, but, you know, we uh, we, we had students from all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, but there was clearly an effort underway to even just bring in more international students. Like, that's going to make our school a better place. And and I kind of felt like, and when I mean bringing more international students, I mean that's a leg up in the admissions process. If you apply from a country where they don't have somebody, if you happen to be, you know, the the one applicant from, you know, Eritrea, you're probably getting in. And I sit there and I'm like, I mean, look, at least I guess it's a different background. But do we really want to a lot of America? I'm, I'm talking about selective institutions, selective universities. Do we really want to do that? Why is don't we want to have the most Americans we can graduating from American schools? I, I will also tell you this doesn't get much attention, but foreign nationals getting into uh, the top programs at places like Harvard and MIT and and then going back to places like China is a national security concern. Okay, we have the best universities in the world, and we are training our competition in many cases. You know, these schools overwhelmingly disregard any notion of patriotism or, dare I say, nationalism in their admissions processes. I think that's a problem. And now bring it back into the affirmative action discussion. Uh, it, affirmative action now applies to, and this is from the admissions pro. Look, I, I've, I will tell you, I had it out once with the admissions director of a school because it, it wasn't about me, but on a on a personal note, somebody they did not take. That was it was just an outrage that they didn't take somebody. And I actually got the admissions director of a very selective, and and we just had it out on the phone. I wish to this day I'd, it would have been fun if I could have recorded the conversation, but uh, the buck went wild, and. But I, I had friends on the admissions committees of, uh, well, at least a couple of friends on the admissions committee of a major university, an Ivy League university, and also a couple. So I, I speak of what I know on this, all right? And, and they all play these games of, that's not how, it, we have no problem. They keep the, the inner workings of these admissions committees like a, it's a black box that no one's allowed to peek into. And I would note that you got to remember that for a lot of professions, a lot of different industries, it's really just a credentialing program. It's all about getting in, folks. What you do there, unfortunately, doesn't really matter. That's why you get all these people that go to Brown that don't get grades that come out and think that they're geniuses because they went to an Ivy League school, and you're like, well, it's really full of a bunch of rich hippies who don't do anything for four years. I'm going to get yelled at for that one, I know, but it's true. True. The two schools I like to make fun of are Brown and Cornell, just because I know a lot of people that went to both, and they deserve to be made fun of. Uh, so... But the, the way the system breaks down is that this is now, as Scalia put it, it's turned into a racial spoil system that some, there are favored groups. Put aside for just for the time being, although it's a, a discussion on its own, affirmative action for uh, for black Americans. right? Put that aside for a moment because it extends to uh, Native Americans. It extends to Hispanics and Latinos. It 
is against Asians. And that's it's not that the Trump administration is going to be tearing down affirmative action. It's that a bunch of Asians who have come together who are like, hey, why are we being discriminated against in these schools? Just because you have some notion of diversity that we don't fit into. It's still discrimination. It's not okay. So a bunch of high achieving Asians are the ones who are actually going to tear down the edifice of affirmative action in this country, I think, in schools. But this is important. It has implications for government hiring, government contracting as well. And it will be yet another instance of the left losing a source of, uh, of political power and patronage. Right? A lot of people really like affirmative action. They support Democrats because of affirmative action. Uh, I haven't even mentioned, I got all fired up about this. What the, the, the news tie in here is that the Obama administration laid out these guidelines. Uh, laid out these guidelines for more or less how to get away with doing racial balancing using quotas without actually using quotas, because quotas are not allowed. That has been, the Supreme Court said you can't have quotas. You can't say we're taking 10% of our class will be black, 15% of our class will be Asian, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do that. But if you look at the schools year in, year out, they have basically the same number of people in these different backgrounds. Oh, isn't that curious? Yeah, that's quite a lucky a place like Harvard has 20 or 30,000 applications between 20 and 30,000 applications a year. I forget the exact number now. Hmm. Seems kind of strange that they have to, basically within within a percentage point or two, the same number of black students, the same number of Latino students year in and year out. That's just because the applicant pool is or or maybe are they engaged in some dishonest stealth quota? Ah, that's what they're doing. So the Obama administration put out this these guidelines uh, under these these uh, affirmative action policy document guidelines that told colleges and universities how to use race and admissions processes and essentially not run afoul of the law. Uh, but Jeff Sessions, my main man, I like Buck very much. Uh, he he's out there and he cited improper rulemaking he has said about this quote the american people deserve to have their voices heard and a government that is accountable to them when issuing regulations federal agencies must abide by constitutional principles and follow the rules set forth by congress and the president in previous administrations however agencies often tried to impose new rules on the american people without any public notice or comment period simply by sending a letter or posting a guidance document on a website that's wrong and it's not good government so, this, this, but this is another way of getting at how this, this, there's a lie at the heart of what's going on in affirmative action right now, which is that race is not a major factor in admissions decisions. It is a huge factor in admissions decisions at these schools. And because of these constructs the left has created on white privilege and, you know, his, uh, systemic racism, historic racism, all that stuff. White people have not been able to make an argument without being told, oh, you're just racist and you want white privilege, you know. But Asian Americans are the ones that the left just has no answer for this. Why is it fair? Under If you're not engaged in racial quotas, and this is at the heart of the matter, why is it fair for a, you know, a, a, a son of Filipino immigrants applying to Yale University to have much better grades and SATs than the son of, you know, let's say uh, Honduran immigrants to the United States, 
and the Honduran immigrant gets in, and the and the Filipino immigrant does not, or you know, the son of Filipino immigrant does not. Why is that fair? What is the what is the justification for that? And the answer is there is no real justification. The answer is the left likes things. The left feels like there are some groups that are aggrieved, that are oppressed, and they make those distinctions and they make those decisions, and they like that power and they don't want to give it up. The Trump administration might start to chip away at this even more and make them give it up. I'll get into a little more. That I find that I think it's really important. By the way, Supreme Court pick could play into this as well, uh, which would also be, I think, great. Affirmative action should be illegal. Gone. Done. It had its day. It's over with. In fact, Sandra Day O'Connor, in one of her Supreme Court opinions, wrote that basically around now, this is really not something we should continue to have. Well, we're there, and I say, time's up. We'll be right back. You have a lot of choices in coffee. Don't drink that commie stuff that's served to you by a bunch of guys that think that Bernie Sanders isn't left-wing enough. All you need is Black Rifle Coffee. This is a company founded by veterans and patriots, people that love America and love delicious coffee. I drink Black Rifle every day. It is my K-cup of choice. I also use some of their ground blends in order to make iced coffee in the summer. It's so easy and so delicious. And these are guys who really care about the coffee that they're offering and this country. So it's a twofer, folks. Check them out for yourself. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. 15% off your whole order. I'm telling you, get it delivered if you want monthly to your front door. Just join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Check it out. We got some lines lit here in the hut. Let's get into it. Uh, Judy in Pittsburgh. Hey, Judy. Don't be Young afraid. Buck, shields high. Shields high. Hey, um, what's Commie Bear doing uh, for for 4th of July? Oh, uh, he's out promoting his new vodka called Deep State. It will crush you. For a special Kremlin announcement arr, from arr, Kami, arr, arr. Kami Bear. There you go. Yeah, I've been wondering what's going on with him. I haven't heard anything. I only get two hours of you, and I'm pulling it in. I'm in Pittsburgh, and I'm pulling this station in from West Virginia. And well, you got to listen to the the Freedom Hut podcast. That's where Commie Bear's been hanging out. The Freedom I Hut. Glamour Judy can't afford internet, and she doesn't have a computer right now. Maybe someday down the road, who knows? But oh. right now, I well, you have a cell phone though, right? Hmm? You yeah, a... I have an Obama phone. <laughs> Well, you have a cell phone, so you should be able to download. You know, the data is not much. You can download the podcast that way, Judy. But we're glad you can join us whenever you can. And thank you for calling in the Freedom Hunt. Happy Fourth of July, and Shield okay, Time. Well, uh, our brother Kenny up in Boston. What's up, brother Kenny? My he- my shield is held in a lofty position. Anyway, listen. What I think about what we were talking about earlier is I think the left is engaged in a sort of attrition warfare. So they're wearing down of the wills. And they're causing increased convolution. If you noticed, everything is just hard to comprehend what's going on. And, of course, the lack of civility. And that fuels their base, and it detracts from the will of uh, Trump supporters, right? And so, but what I really wanted to say is if the open borders results in an inevitable ultimate collapse of the country, which I, I do kind of feel that way myself, 
what do all these politicians and the media who are clearly pushing it, what do they get out of it? Are they, do they get like a golden parachute escape? Are they part of some hierarchy of uh, uh, government that happens in its wake? Right. What do uh, do they have do they have special keys to the Soros bunker when America gets uh, <laughs> overrun and destroyed? No, I, I, uh, I, I think that they're just thinking about this very short term. And in the short term, open borders means Democrat votes and Democrat power. And that's all. And also the enlarging of the uh, of the state that comes along with it, uh, which is something they always want. Right. If you have more people that are more dependent on the state, you need a bigger state to administer to them. Who is the party of the state and for the state? The Democrats. So that's that's how they view it. Uh, And also, I think there's a they don't view this rationally. It's it's very emotional for them, Kenny. And they've really convinced themselves that the poem and the Statue of Liberty Give me your poor, your non-English speaking, your non-vetted, and whoever shows up, uh, that's that's the way this should be. I mean, that's obviously a approximation of how they think about it and what the poem says, but that's where we are. Kenny and Boston, Shields High, my friend. More coming. The Thread is a new hit podcast from Aussie Media that explores history's surprising connections in order to discover how one thing leads to another, like how John Lennon's murder connects all the way back to communist leader Vladimir Lenin. Get it on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. So the uh, Democrats are still really upset about the fact that Trump is going to get a Supreme Court nominee. Um, by the way, can we, can we play cl- uh, clip seven, please? Here's what Huckabee Sanders said Trump is, is looking for for a SCOTUS pick. Play seven. Look, the main thing the president is looking for uh, are people that fit uh, the, the, the qualifications that you would want in a Supreme Court justice. Uh, tremendous intellect, someone who will stick to upholding the Constitution, and somebody who has great judicial temperament. Those are the big things the president is looking for in a candidate. Yeah, but you see, that the thing that the Democrats are looking for is somebody who will give them what they want, or at least give them the possibility of getting what they want on the most major issues, which is what they have with Kennedy, right? Somebody who is not going to overturn some of the major uh, cultural and political shifts that occurred as a result of Supreme Court decisions that in some cases are terrible. By the way, we're going to have uh, David French, who's a lawyer, senior writer at National Review. He's going to join us in the third hour tonight to talk a little bit about what he thinks is going on here and what we can expect from the anti conservative judge opposition out there but you know they're just going to say a lot of really terrible stuff and no one's going to be held to account for it and it's all about our team versus their team in their eyes that's it there's there's no deference to the constitution here it's not about what's best for the country and rule of law in with respect to uh, a system of a system of judicial interpretation that is not about outcomes but about the law they don't want that. They want a super legislator, a legislature with at least five votes on it out of nine to give the left what they want, things they would never get. Does anyone really think they would have ever gotten abortion all nine months of a pregnancy in all 50 states in the country? Not never. Right. It never would have happened. There was never a time when Congress would have pushed, pushed that. Through. It's just not going to happen. It wouldn't have happened. And now here we are. It's been the law of the land for decades uh, and a, a stain on the 
on the uh, moral and ethical conscience uh, or a stand on the moral and ethical history of this country. They're going to say stuff like this, uh, this person over at MSNBC about some of the different justices. Uh, here, here's what qualifies for political analysis at MS. Play 10. His list is all people who we, we have an understanding are in opposition to Roe. You know, Amy Barnett uh, is a, uh, went to Notre Dame. She is very Catholic. She had a famous moment uh, with uh, former Senator Al Franken during her hearings about how she spoke uh, essentially to a hate group without really understanding the full um, context there. Just slander people, right? Just say, say whatever you got to say to impugn their character, to damage them in public, uh, to find a way to create a, a perception that they're unethical, bad people. Whatever they have to say to that end, they will do. And it is deeply troubling to see this going on. It is deeply troubling, and it's going to get, as we know, it's, it's going to get much uglier and much, much worse. Um, but... There's a fundamental principle here, and I want to make sure we establish it. There's something that really does matter about all the Supreme Court stuff, and that is that the Supreme Court is not supposed to be a place where judges sit there and decide what is best for the country. This is where you have the divide in liberal and conservative jurisprudence. It's not about, I like this thing, I'm in a position to make this thing happen through the law by changing the law as a Supreme Court judge. It should be about what is true and what is lawful um here's what dersh the dersh we haven't had the dersh on in a while i kind of want to have the dersh on a podcast where i can just talk to him about like the life of dersh you know what i mean i feel like that would be a good like hey so what was really what was it really like on oj's defense team back in the day you know how was how was that whole thing going on there's a lot of questions i gotta ask, ask the dersh uh, but here's what he said about judicial activism play four the president makes these kinds of decisions based on his personal interaction with the individuals more than recommendations. Obviously, he's going to take into account the recommendations as well. I hope he's looking for a libertarian conservative, a true conservative who elevates the rights of individual over the power of government. A true conservative also respects precedent, doesn't come to the court with an agenda, with a list of issues that he wants to see change. A true conservative is not a judicial activist. So I think he can broaden his base, help unite the country. If he picks a true conservative who really believes in liberty and who believes in precedent, that's what true conservatism is on the bench. Well, I think that Trump's nominees are going to fit that just fine. I think that the people that he's thinking about uh, fall into those categories, and you know, I, I'm I am hopeful that uh, you know th- this is here we are we're 18 months into the Trump presidency, and already there are people I know who were cautious about this, maybe cautiously optimistic, or maybe just weren't sold, and they are seeing what is happening here, and they are saying, "Wow, never Trump was a mistake." <laughs> for some of them. I'm not saying all of them feel that way, but some of them feel that way. Like, maybe I shouldn't have uh, written this off um, because this will stay with us for a very long time. And as I've, as I've been saying to you, it has tremendous implications for the future. So, look, I, I don't want to get, get you know too deep into the, uh, 
you know, oh, with the judges and this and that, and the other thing, because we're going to, this is going to be the main event, the main show, folks. Once it gets into the Senate and you got all these senators and you have, you know, Chuck Schumer and all the rest of them trying to, you know, I got to say Leahy, I really, I talk about gurgling with Gergen, but actually Leahy kind of, so you know if gergen is kind of up here Leahy is kind of down i can't understand the guy city u.s senator pat Leahy of vermont he's he's apparently i think he does pretty well actually in terms of uh approval ratings i'm like what is this guy talking about i don't know i mean i feel like being able to Communicate effectively should be a necessary prerequisite to be in the Senate. But he's been there a long time. And he has a very prominent, prominent dome. I mean, his he embraces, you know, he's he's like me. He's got a seriously large cranium and he just goes with it. You know, he's not trying to do a comb over or anything else. Leahy owns the Mr. Clean thing up top. And you know what? Some respect for that. I got I gotta go with it. Uh so the, the judicial thing is gonna turn into a lot of a lot of nasties, a lot of back and forth, as you know. We'll follow that more closely. But in, in the meantime, it's just they're going to try to make an issue of, particularly if it's uh, Amy Barrett, they're going to make an issue of her Catholicism in a way that we'll be talking about, I think, for years to come. Uh, there, there's going to be big, big problems there. Uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Oh, my gosh, we have so much more to discuss, my friends. Much more show on the way. And don't forget, you can download the Freedom Hut podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Uh, Just go to the Buck Sexton Show. It is in that same feed, folks. It is in that same feed. Uh, And Oh, wait, here, wait. A a couple of things before before I go into the next one. I was looking for these for a moment. I was verbally stalling to find this. So here's here's what Trump was saying about that upcoming fight. Play 15. And I think, yes, I think we will go very quickly. I actually believe that. A lot of people think it's going to be a very, it's probably going to be vicious because the other side, all they can do is obstruct and resist. You know, the whole thing is resist. But, uh, and maybe someday we'll be able to get along with the other side. I don't know. But right now it's only resist. That's all they want to do is stop things from happening. So they're going to try very hard. But I think it's going to go actually very quickly if I pick the right person. They're going to be vicious. I don't think it's going to go quickly. I like the president's optimism on this, but it is going to be very, very ugly. And I, I want to just put this out there. Maybe this is one of these things where we should mark this for the show going forward so we have it. Imagine what it feels like if Republicans maintain control. I don't think they're going to gain seats in the House, but imagine what it's like if they maintain control of the House and the Senate two years into the Trump presidency. And you get a constitutional conservative on the Supreme Court, a second one on the Supreme Court, courtesy of President Donald J. Trump in year, all done in year by a year two of the presidency. What are liberals going to tell themselves then? You know, when when do you think this iceberg starts to melt of liberal delusion when they have to confront? their misconceptions about this country, about themselves, about the popularity of their beliefs, and about why people voted for Trump in the first place. I don't know if we're ever going to get there. I don't know. if we're, you know, Mike says no. Mike thinks that they're just, is never going to change. It's never going to change. Uh, you might be right, man. You know, I, I think that they, there's been a, a radicalization of the liberal mind 
that only only through continuous losses, only until we are, in fact, sick of winning, uh, tired of winning, will that change. And we're a ways from that. we still got a lot of things to accomplish, a lot of things to do. All right, now I really will give you a second to catch your breath. 844, or I guess let me catch my breath. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Uh, David French coming up in the next hour. Uh, much more show on the way. Stay with me, team. We're not going to be threatened by the Democrats. I mean, look, they, they're the ones that have all this blood on their hands. They're the ones who have completely destroyed the FBI and DOJ. How did they do that? They did that by digging up dirt. The Clinton campaign dug up dirt, put it into a dossier, fed it into the FBI, and the FBI used our counterintelligence uh, capabilities against a political campaign. Is there really any dispute left about that? You know? That seems to be just a statement of fact at this point. But Devin Nunes has become something of a boogeyman on the left. They hate Nunes because he's been out there fighting the fight, the good fight on this issue. And you'll notice there's been a bit of a silence on this. Yeah, the the Cohen flip issue has come up recently because Cohen gave his interview to, uh, what was it, George Stephanopoulos? Mike, we don't have any of that audio handy, do we? This the uh, Cohen speaking. I don't know if it was just written interview or I read the transcript of it. Was it written or was it uh, a video interview with Stephanopoulos and Cohen? You know what I'm talking about? Earlier in the week? I do, yeah. They uh, do not have video of it. Uh, it was a sit-down. I think that was the agreement, just to talk oh, to him. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. so, I remember I read what was said. So, you know, everyone's all jumping on this. Oh, Cohen's going to flip. And Cohen said stuff like, it's not a witch hunt. Uh, I'm not going to put Trump ahead of my family, which when you are in the crosshairs of a federal prosecutorial, well, I was going to say witch hunt, uh, overreach, you say whatever you got to say to try to save yourself, really. That, that's what ends up happening, folks. You know, it's kind of like an interrogation. Everybody breaks just a question of when and how. When the feds come after you, you know, you're eventually going to start singing the tune they want you to sing. I mean, maybe you won't say you're guilty of stuff you didn't do, but if if it's going to help you to say, I think the feds are doing a great job here. You know, if it's going into your possible plea bargain, then yeah, of course. But everyone's saying, Cohen's going to flip, he's going to flip. I say, flip. the problem he's going to have is he has nothing to flip with. Yeah, they want him to flip on Trump. That's very obvious. But... What's he going to say? There was Russia collusion that didn't happen. He can't do that, by the way. If he lies, then he loses any any deal. So he can't make stuff up. Even if he says what they want him to say, you have to wonder, well, what's that even going to be? We're going to get back to the Stormy Daniels payoff issue. and you know, CNN was covering that almost like the lost plane. I mean, it was on 24-7, day in, day out. But CNN is the enemy of truth, so they have no problem with these things. Uh, Mike was just telling me before well, that they had uh, the woman who was harassing Pruitt on. She's now a hero. This is what ends up happening. All you have to do is find somebody affiliated with Trump and do a Facebook video of yourself talking about how you cursed them out or yelled at them, and you're you're like a celebrity. You know, you, you need to get an agent to negotiate your book deal. I find it very, I find it very distasteful. I, I must say. But yeah, I mean, they're going after Cohen. I saw. I didn't. I didn't mention earlier in the show. Uh, you know, because. I feel like this is a story that gets more attention, that, or it's not that it gets more attention than it deserves. It's the way people always take this. 
every step in the Mueller probe is treated like, oh, we're right, you know, any day now, that that other shoe has been waiting to drop for months and months. I just want you all to remember when the day comes that the Mueller probe finally is, you know, they release their report and the whole thing happens. Oh, by the way, I'm going to talk about the Senate intel report on Russia in a few moments. Yet the Senate Intel Committee says, oh, we have the Russia conclusions from the Intel community. I'll get into this. Again, not something that people are making a bigger deal out of it than it is. But I want you to remember who along this whole process was telling you this isn't what they say it is. It's not going to result in some soft coup against the Trump administration, although they're trying it. It's not, it's not going to happen. There's no there there. And remember who has been running around hair on fire about how Trump was a, you know, Trump is a traitor and worked with Russia. Yeah. Look, it's, it's been discouraging. And I have, I have really, this is the first time in my professional career in media. I have just lost respect for the judgment of people over this one issue. People have gone off the rails with this Russia Trump collusion stuff in a way that I never could have imagined. And I just refuse to believe that it's really about belief in some international conspiracy with Trump and other people to try and throw the election. I think it's just a much deeper issue for people. They take Trump's, they've taken Trump's election personally. They think it's a repudiation of what they think about themselves, right? That now someone is challenging their beliefs in a way that has rattled them. And they're hoping for some panacea. And the panacea in this case would be that Trump is really a a Kremlin candidate, that he was run by Putin, all this other stuff. It just must be exhausting to keep that hope alive so long uh, in spite of all the facts and everything that we've seen so far. It's got to be tiring after a while. But I I feel like, you know, they they are going to see it through to the end. I will say that. They're going to stay on this thing. There's I do not have much faith that there will be any real increase in insanity from the anti-Trump left on this Russia stuff. But, you know, I feel for a guy like Cohen... They're going to they're gonna get them on something because it's not that hard to get people. They're going to find some... Speaking of getting people, didn't they just... Uh, Mike, didn't they just get the... Uh, what is it? Arwan, that guy, the uh, house... Worked for Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the IT guy. He pled to a loan fraud thing. Pleaded to a loan fraud thing. I feel like there's more going on. I know there's been a lot of reporting. Daily Caller's been reporting on that. I got to dig into it a little bit more. It feels like they're just making that go away. Guy was into some shady stuff, and he's just doing a loan fraud charge. Hmm. Okay, but this Senate uh, Intel Committee report on Russia. We'll talk about that for a few minutes coming up, and then we got David French joining on all things Supreme Court. He's going to help me own the libs. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I've got very important news to tell all of you. Stuff that's really going to blow your mind. Alec Baldwin and Martin Sheen are going on a 24-hour hunger strike for immigrants. <gasps> oh, no. How will they ever make it through 24 hours? They're so dedicated to immigrants. This is a thing that I saw today. It's a real thing that people are talking about. I should go on a 24-hour hunger strike. They're not actually fit into my bathing suits from last summer. Anyway... 
goals. Hashtag goals. Hashtag dad bod fight. Uh, you know, the, the big thing today, and I saw this on Fox, it's getting a lot of attention to people who are like, oh gosh, what does this all mean? Here's the, the quick and dirty. The Senate Intel, Senate Intel Committee, uh, Committee has been looking at uh, the findings of the Intel community in the 2016 presidential election. That, uh, quote, the, they wanted to help Donald Trump. The intelligence community's findings were, quote, accurate and on point, according to an unclassified report and an accompanying statement by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence released Tuesday. So they are saying, sure enough, that, uh, yeah, Russia wanted to help. Russia wanted to help uh, Trump in the election. This is from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. They released it. And they go into some stuff about the disputes between FBI, CIA, and NSA. By the way, I used to be a part of these disputes on different analytic products. I, I've been in the room. I've fought it out with people from different... That stuff can get heated, by the way. You can imagine when some bureaucrat feels like the stakes are the national security interests of the United States, you can get very passionate. You can get very sanctimonious, too, in some of these interagency uh, intelligence assessment meetings i i remember things getting real heated on some iraq related stuff back in the day as you can imagine so uh looking at this now people are going to say oh gosh russia wanted to help trump here's the thing russia was trying to sow chaos russia was doing what it has been doing for decades this you can either make it sound like a really big deal or you can put it in the proper context which is this is a continuation of rough russian provocations against the U.S. and a lot of other countries, by the way, stretching back for decades. This is a way that they pursue what they view as their foreign policy interests by trying to sow chaos in the electoral processes of other countries. And chaos made me too strong a word, just to try to gum up the works a little bit and to push those candidates that they feel like maybe are more aligned with their interests in some ways on some matters to downplay or uh, engage in propaganda against candidates they don't like. I mean, but they've been doing this forever. I wish they would teach kids in school about what the Soviet Union was really up to and its ties to the Communist Party USA and all of the different Soviet agents in this country. Instead, you get some five-line paragraph about, you know, McCarthy was really bad and he did bad things and he lied about people. It's like, no, McCarthy was actually mostly right Alger Hiss was a spy, et cetera, et cetera. You go down the line, you see that there were deep and very serious, very senior penetrations of the United States government by the communists. And there were a lot of Americans who were communist fellow travelers and working with the Communist Party. That was a real thing and a very serious national security threat to us. But that's not taught. People don't know about it. And so they see this Russian meddling and they say, oh, my gosh, they're creating Facebook accounts that say mean things about Hillary among hundreds of millions of Facebook accounts out there. You know, when you start to look at the, the, the money that was spent on this and you look at the Facebook puppets and what, what they were, what Russia was actually up to, to call this a drop in the bucket is an overstatement. It was a drop in the ocean. The notion that this could have moved the election one way or the other is just fantasy. But also, now you, have to, you, you can take it beyond that into the, what are we, what are we really supposed to do about it? How is this really supposed to get dealt with? I asked James Clapper, the former director of national intelligence, you know, what do you think? 
And he's like, well, we should put out a strong statement. Oh, okay. We put out a strong statement about Russia, and then we've handled the problem. I I don't think that's going to cut it. I don't think that's going to do it. How do we stop Russian meddling going forward? No one has any idea. You're going to have more transparency in Facebook accounts? Guess what? Russia will just get more sophisticated about how they set up those Facebook accounts. And if nothing else, one of the best things that they've gotten out of this whole process is the magnification of their propaganda efforts in the minds of a lot of Americans because of the narrative that Hillary would have won if it weren't for the Russians, which is just, again, crazy, but this is what they're saying. So this this Senate panel, okay, they're saying that they think that Russia wanted to help Trump. So what? Russia wanted to help Trump. Every, every country's government, by the way, has a favorite in most of our elections. And usually, for adversaries, guess what? It's the Democrat that they want to win. So... We just deal with that. We just recognize that and uh, do our best to work within that reality. So, you know, I, I just I, this is this report today. They released it before Trump's going to go meet with with Putin in a few weeks. And, you know, they want this stuff out there. This is uh, doesn't really change anything, doesn't really move the football downfield. But you know what, Will? Our friend David French, who is joining us here momentarily. Talk a bit about Supreme Court nominees, and uh, then we'll get into some other interesting stuff, including roll call, your thoughts, and so much more. Uh, team, stay with me. Environment is very fast-paced. You don't have time to waste, and you need to make sure that when you're making a decision about a possible tenant, about a possible hire or business partner, you have all the information you need and somebody who's there that's going to treat each case as very important, will answer each question, and you know you can get them on the phone. Global Verification Network is the answer for all your background investigation and vetting needs. They're the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation company. They're federally certified as a veteran-owned small business. They have all their stuff done here in the States. Headquarters in Chicago. All their personnel are U.S.-based. They do not offshore any of your client information. They do not offshore any of your data. This is who you want to have your back for all background investigations and vetting. Call 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. Are you going to ask your nominees beforehand how they might vote on uh, Roe versus Wade? Well, that's a big one, and probably not. They're all saying, don't do that, you don't do that, you shouldn't do that, but I'm putting conservative people on. On the campaign trail, you said you would leave it to the states. Well, maybe someday it will be to the states. You never know how that's going to turn out. That's a very complex question. Uh, We'll see what happens, but it could very well end up with states at some point. Could indeed. It depends. Uh, What is... The likely path here, assuming we, we get a conservative constitutionalist, somebody from the list that Trump has put out there on the Supreme Court, what do we think could happen with Roe? And what's the opposition to that pick going to look like? We have David French with us now. He is a lawyer, a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom, and also a senior writer for National Review. He's got a piece out, Progressives Deploy Religious Ignorance and Bigotry to Stop Amy Coney Barrett. David, great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, let's just let's start with so so Barrett is a female Catholic and by all objective measures eminently qualified for the role of a Supreme Court justice, right? I mean she's she's checking all the boxes. 
but there's one box she checks that is likely to cause some problems on the left. What would that one be? <laughs> well, she's a very faithful Catholic. Um, Uh-oh. And, and not only a very faithful Catholic, she's involved with a Christian community, a Christian parachurch organization uh, called People of Praise that uh, has come up in the New York Times, has, been, has come up recently on Twitter, uh, where they're casting aspersions on her almost like she's in some sort of cult when she's plainly not. They, I mean, they, they bring this up, and this comes after, who was it, uh, Feinstein, who uh, was, <laughs> yeah. was, remember when she grilled, I wish we had that audio handy, but we don't, but that was during, oh, we do, play it, we've got it, well done. When you read your speeches, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern when you come to big issues that large numbers of people have fought for for years in this country. I assume if you were on the lists that you would be a no vote on Roe. And that puts a number of us just very honestly in layman's language in a very difficult position. I'm being considered for a position on a court of appeals and there would be no opportunity to be a no vote on Roe. And as I said to the committee, well, I would faithfully apply all Supreme Court precedent. Well, so there we have it, David. We had a Feinstein uh, saying when you read or when you read your speeches, the dogma lives loudly within you. That was quite a moment. <laughs> That's definitely quite a moment. And it's something that even when it happened, even though, you know, this is a, a, an appellate court judge, judge, not something that a whole lot of people pay attention to other than sort of legal nerds. Uh, it actually caused quite an uproar, uproar when it happened last year because it was so blatant, such a blatant religious test. I mean, it's, it turned into one of these things where you could tell that you're dealing with a conservative legal nerd when they were walking around with coffee mugs that says the dogma lives loudly within you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it, it was a preview of it, what would happen if she is nominated for the Supreme Court. Um, and, and here's why it's a preview. Uh, if you go by objective qualifications, how is this person qualified? She checks all the boxes. I mean, uh, did uh, did very well at an elite law school. Was a uh, on law review, appellate court clerkship, Supreme Court clerkship. Worked at an elite law firm, became a law professor, published peer review articles, and then became a federal judge. I mean, it's it's very similar in some ways to the Elena Kagan path to the Supreme Court. So here's a person universally recognized as as brilliant, universally recognized as someone who really is a, a star in the conservative legal world, there isn't a, a qualification-based objection to her, nor, because most of her work has been in academia, is there a paper trail of a lot of court decisions for the left to pick apart, like the way they tried to pick apart the Gorsuch trucker case back in 2017. And so what, what are you left with? You're left with a brilliant young legal scholar who's done everything she's supposed to do, well-regarded by her peers, uh, the Notre Dame law faculty signed an, a letter unanimously in her support, which included progressives. Uh, what are you left with? And, and for some progressives, what they're left with is she's just too darn Christian. And that's where we are in public debate in this country in 2018. Right. When we still have, what, 70, 80 percent of America, I think, still at least identifies as Christian, whether they go to church or not and pay attention to the dogma is, is a separate issue. Uh, but but it is uh, I, I think where we can expect, David, that if it's bare. By the way, do you have? Are you uh, 
putting out odds on this at all? Do you think it's going to be Barrett, or are you a Kavanaugh person? Uh, I think, you know, I think I've heard it's between Barrett and Kavanaugh, but I've also heard between it's between Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Raymond Catholic. So I think there is there's some resistance to Kavanaugh that I have seen. Um, I think Kethledge and Barrett have the kind of records and the clearly articulated judicial philosophy that an awful lot of conservatives will look at their nomination and say this is a home run on the order of a Neil Gorsuch. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know where I am on it right now. I would say uh, between Kethledge, Kavanaugh, and Barrett, do you have uh, a preferred equal odds between the three? I, do you, you know, have... look if I could wave it, if I could wave a magic wand tomorrow, it'd be Barrett or Kethledge. I think okay. either one of those is sort of like this deep Aaron Judge home run that causes the conservative crowd to ooh and awe. Now, I, I got to tell you, I'm already seeing, and, and I do a, a show now in the mornings with a, a very, very uh, great and very kind progressive, but you know, we're, we're going back and forth a lot on this stuff, and, and I'm hearing the arguments against, say, one of those nominees, and one of these Trump nominees getting through, and David, I... I try to put on my most objective, honest hat possible. It just all to me sounds a bit like whining. And I wonder if, <laughs> you know, it, 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 there doesn't seem to be a ground. They say, oh, well, it's there's no litmus test, but you have to be in favor of Roe v. Wade. They say, oh, you know, stare decisis, uh, previously decided things, you know, can't change. But Dred Scott was really bad, so maybe bad things actually should change when the Supreme Court handles them. They say, oh, you know, it should have been uh, Merrick Garland, and we say, well, it wasn't. I mean, I just, I don't see a real argument emerging. I just see a bundle of angry emotions that people don't, they don't want Roe overturned, but they also just don't want a conservative on the on the high court. I mean, am I missing, what, is, is, there a, is there an argument I need to take seriously for why Trump should not be able to pick from this list? No, there is no serious argument as to why you shouldn't be able to pick from this list. I mean, look, uh, a, a lot of people have remarked on this and, and noted this. So this is hardly original. But look, the, the bottom line is that the nomination and confirmation process is more partisan than it's ever been. And it's also the bottom line that the judicial philosophies, the different judicial philosophies between four progressive jurists and conservative jurists, the differences in the philosophies is sharper than it's ever been. And so it's it's a reflection of the increased partisanship in the United States. And I was just on uh, MSNBC, MSNBC talking to a uh, debating a progressive on this very topic, and he was showing poll numbers showing that the Americans didn't want this this decision overturned or that decision overturned or poll number poll numbers regarding Roe v. Wade. And I said, look, poll numbers are interesting. Election results are binding, and the bottom line is. People voted for Donald Trump in large numbers because of this court and because of the court. And Trump knows it. His team knows it. And they know that they've got to come through here. And the fact that he's come through so well with Gorsuch and other federal judicial nominations is one of the reasons why the Republican base is still so bonded to him in spite of you know many other missteps and, and scandals. I appreciate it, by the way, David, and I think you know that because I, I re- retweeted earlier today – you just saying what I think some people dance around. I say it here on the show on a regular basis. In fact, the most uh, storied progressive law and jurisprudence professor at my college 
would walk around saying that he thinks that abortion should be legal, you know, all nine months. But Roe is just crap as, as law goes. I mean, there's just no defending it. It's garbage. It's make believe. And, and you, you don't use those words, but you're willing to go out there and say the same thing. I think that's important for people to hear right now that this isn't a this wasn't a close call thing. This was a Supreme Court made it up and they need to unmake right. this up. Right. A lot of people call abortion a constitutional right. I, I object to that. What abortion is, is it, it, the right to abortion is secured not by the Constitution. It's secured, because you'll see it nowhere in there, it's secured by a lousy judicial precedent. It's secured by a badly reasoned, results-oriented, activist judicial precedent that should be overturned. It's terrible constitutional law. And look, I, I'm a conservative. I'm pro-life. I freely admit that. But you know what? There were progressives who have agreed with that for a very long time, that Roe is just a bad, it's bad constitutional law. It's a badly reasoned court decision. Look, you know, and as I said to, you know, my friend I was debating, I said, hey, if you think that, that the right to an abortion is so darn popular, well, then what do you have to fear from overturning Roe? You'll just go ahead and win all the elections and you'll, you know, the states will, the states will protect the right to an abortion. But I think the fact of the matter is the radical pro-abortion side of the argument knows that in many, if not most American states, the American people want greater restrictions on abortion and in some states are willing to outright ban the practice. And so this is something that never should have been taken out of the democratic process. It never should have been uh, rendered beyond democratic debate by judicial precedent. And it's something that's ripe for reversal. Now, I don't think any of Trump's nominees will get up and say that they'll reverse Roe because judicial nominees never say how they're going to rule on potential future cases, neither the nominees from the left or the right. So they're not going to say that. But I do hope that whoever the nominee is will, when the, if and when the day comes, have the courage to do the right thing. David French is a senior writer at National Review. Check out his piece right now at nationalreview.com. Progressives deploy Religious Ignorance and Bigotry to Stop Amy Coney Barrett. Before we let you go, David, 4th of July, hamburgers or hot dogs? You only get one choice. <laughs> hamburgers always, unless I'm at a ballpark. Totally agree. Hot dogs are an accoutrement yeah. for hamburgers. That's what you eat when you're not totally full after your hamburger. You get that one right. Gold, uh, Big gold star and a high five. Thank you so much, David. Great <laughs> to have you on. Thanks for having me. Team, we're going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back. Answer that question. The president's executive order has uh, bought some time for Congress, but the clock is ticking, and Congress needs to act to fix this process uh, because we're running out of time on what we have the ability to do, particularly with the district court that weighed in uh, just last week. The Trump administration never released the... So, we, we, Lawrence O'Donnell, producer Mike, what, what happened there? He just dropped an F-bomb in response to Sarah Huckabee Sanders, or did he just drop something? I couldn't tell. I thought, you know, when I read that headline, I figured that maybe there was a situation where he was responding to Huck Sanders because he, but it sounded like he spilled his coffee on himself or something. Well, originally what I was thinking with this segment, folks, was I was going to tell you about how you need to keep in mind that uh, some of these TV pundit types, they hate the president as much, of these, as, much as these left-wing activists, uh, that, that it's not really an act with them, which I find even more terrifying. It makes me more uncomfortable to know that there are people out there who really believe, who, who are multi-multi-millionaires with huge platforms, who believe that the President of the United States 
is trying to take this country and turn it into some fascist dystopia. I'd rather they were just doing this as some kind of, uh, you know, ploy just to get people to watch. Yeah, I'd rather this was performance art, performance theater. But I don't know, Mike. Do you have anything for me here, man? Was it was that? What happened there? Why did he? Why did? Why did O'Donnell drop an f bomb on live air? Do we know? He didn't like what Huck Sanders was saying. Oh, it was in response to Huck Sanders. Yeah, she she they went to a clip of her, and like it looks like they came back from the clip a little sooner than he thought they were coming back, and he got caught dropping the f bomb. Ah, oh, so it's a it's an open mic moment then. Okay, reminds me of the guy who said. During the Romney-Obama campaign, the guy who said that Romney, and this was caught on an open mic, Romney was happy to have a party while, quote, black people drown, end quote. And that guy got fired. You know what happened to him? He wasn't drummed out of uh, of political analysis life. He's got a huge job over at C- a big job over at CNN now. He was at Yahoo. So there's that. He actually got, guys, he got an upgrade. He got a more important, higher-paying job after being a, quote, objective journalist and accused Mitt Romney of being a, a heinous racist based on no information other than he's a Republican. Uh, but there, yeah, so, okay, so it was O'Donnell, who just, who just hates Huckabee Sanders. I mean, she has become, after Trump, I think the most, by the left-wing media, they're, they're the nastiest to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. They really are. They, they you know, they've gone after her in a way that, is tells us so much more about the people that are going after her than it does about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, right? Tells us so much more about what it is right now that is animating the left, and it's just animus. They are full of hate and bile and nastiness. I'm not hearing ideas from the left at all. I'm just hearing a lot of rage. And if nothing else, I, I think maybe this is a necessary catharsis for the country. Like just, just to have maybe the real secret of of Trump's brilliance is that he will exhaust the rage functions of the left will become exhausted in time. And then they'll have to be normal people that we can have a discussion with about things that matter. In the meantime, they're going to go on TV and curse and be angry and hateful and full of all this crazy stuff. You know, people try to compare what's going on now with the tea party. I get so angry about that. I'm like the tea party was peaceful rallies. People were respectful and there was a, there were policy goals behind what they were doing. And it was all about showing up and voting. They weren't harassing people at restaurants. They weren't, you know, threatening people's families. You know, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul just had somebody had to be arrested because someone threatened to kill his family and chop them up with an axe. I mean, there are maniacs running around now. And it doesn't help when you've got multimillionaires going on TV acting like they're part of the resistance against Nazism, a.k.a. Trumpism now, too. It really doesn't help, folks. All right, roll calls next. Stay right there. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. I gotta say, that's my favorite Roll Call, I think. I, I, was, I was originally a, dub, a dubstep guy. That roll call has now become numero uno for me. Uh, thank you, as always, for sending me your thoughts and uh, sharing uh, what you think 
is working here on the show, what you want to hear more of, maybe even what you want to hear less of, all of the above. By the way, if you guys have any ideas, any feedback on the Freedom Hut podcast, let me know. Um, I, I'm curious to see what you, what you like about it, what you want more of, because I'm toying with the idea of making the Freedom Hut podcast just a a, a really, a, well, yeah, Kami Bear needs to be in it because he's our special Russia correspondent, but like a one-subject deep dive for you know 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, just really dig into it instead of trying to cover a few things. I'm experimenting with it. The Freedom Hunt is something I just wanted to do on my own as a, uh, as a, you know, something to add into the mix of what we got going on. So let me know what you think. All right. First up here, Brandon. Buck, my Buck 15 coupon code Black Rifle Coffee arrived just in time for Independence Day. I hope you didn't take offense the other day when I commented on your Facebook Live that as a bald guy, I don't like the swoop. No, of course, no offense taken, my friend Brandon. Totally understand. Uh, the swoop is not for everyone. The swoop is a lot smaller today, by the way. It got de-swooped, really. As I like to say, it looked like they it looked like they shaved a yak uh, when I went to the barber shop. Uh, but there you have it. And by the way, thank you for buying some Black Rifle, uh, Black Rifle coffee, Blackbeard's. Uh, what is this? Blackbeard's Delight? I can't really see this. This is a new... I don't actually know that one of the flavors. I gotta check that one out. But yes, all please go to uh, blackruffelcoffee.com slash buck. Coupon code BUCK15. Drive up those numbers, folks. Shows my... You know, I really... I talked to you about some of the small... I'm actually friends with the Black Rifle guys. I mean, they're they're just great guys. I, I know their, their wives, their girlfriends... Uh, there, there are people running that company. You would here's what I'll well, I'll tell you about Black Rifle, Nine Line, and some of the other sponsors we have here on the Buck Sexton Show. You all listening would like the people who run those companies. You would like them. You'd want to hang out with them. That's pretty cool. It's nice. You know, it's not like I'm sitting around when I have meetings with my sponsors. It's not like we're sitting around in a room full of guys with suits who are all stuffy and asking for PowerPoint presentations. They're like, hey, let's just all meet and go out for drinks and like, you know, talk about. What it was like being over in the sandbox. All right, next up here, Duke. Duke writes, Buck, love your show. I really think rising will catch on, uh, considering our current climate. See how I did that? Considering shareable segments, people today have short attention spans. Sad but true. If we could get short segments, like I'm too old to party on Wednesday, it would take me until Friday to recover, and you all sound communist to me, taking days off and getting paid was hilarious. Want to send that tidbit to friends, etc., to get them to listen to your tired diatribe. Well, thank you, Duke. And, uh, yeah, we're always trying to think of more ways to make the show better and more shareable. Uh, so thank you for your feedback. It is much appreciated. Seth, he writes, Hey, Buck, you mentioned a couple of episodes back that it's hard to do an impression of Kirsten Gillibrand because there isn't much to work with. She should be called Kirsten Jilla Bland. Whoa. Still loving the podcast. Shields high. Thank you, Seth. You're a scholar and a gentleman. Uh, next up here. Michael writes, It's a fool's errand to think you'll ever convince K-Ball of the wrongness of her views and the rightness of yours. Ain't gonna happen. Michael, I know, but the exercise is the point, right? The, the, the exercise intellectually of making the case, making the argument, but to try to persuade instead of trying to assault, bludgeon with words, and 
undermine, right? That's This is what we're trying to do. I've been saying this to you. It is experimental. Nobody else is doing this out there right now. Everybody else is doing steel cage match. Everybody else is, you know, my side, your side. That's it. So is this going to work long term? Who knows? But it's in the meantime, at least we're trying something different. Uh, And, you know, Crystal and I get along really well. So we're able to operate in this space of we can share ideas and thoughts without it, you know, turning into a, a melee out there. Although, you know, there'll be a melee at some point, just hopefully not a really bad one. Uh, Emery writes, hey, Buck, curious if you have seen the movie Sicario 2. If so, wondering what you think of the angle of the movie. They seem to take a little stab at Fox News, but overall, I was not sure if it was left or right. Emery, I have not seen Sicario 2. I thought that there were a couple of really excellent scenes in Sicario 1. I did think overall, though, the movie was a little bit grim and a little bit relentless. And that was not not in a good way. So I will just put that out there. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, I, I do want to see it, though. I really do want to check it out. Jonathan, next up here. Buck, isn't it amazing how the media went from saying Trump was guilty of human rights violations for separating children from their parents to freaking out about the possibility of a potential new Supreme Court justice voting for, uh, voting against abortion. It seems like they care more about possibly losing the right of killing babies than caring for abused children. And you know, Jonathan, uh, there are there's really no area right now of American life that I think has become more uh, more polluted by immorality and and illogic and poor thinking and dishonesty than the the abortion debate uh it's it's just terrible it's terrible what goes on it's terrible that people lie about it and you know it's 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 terrible that there is such a massive industry now remember it is an industry around planned parenthood and these other organizations and i will tell you even on the right it is considered a risk and I have been told in the past when I've wanted to do segments on abortion, not ever here, uh, I'm I'm given free reign. One of the reasons why I love the company I work for here on radio, I'm given complete free reign to talk about whatever I want. No one ever, ever gives me any direction or take this position or anything else. So, you know, God bless Premier Radio Networks for that. But in my previous life at some other places I've been without getting into it, I have been told uh, that. You know, abortion segments, you know, they don't rate. We don't want to talk about it. We shouldn't do it. And it's one of those areas where I'll look at them and say, I don't care if it doesn't rate. We got to talk about this. I have a uh, I have a, a platform here. I have the ability to reach people. We're talking about this. Uh, but just just remember that there are a lot of people that say, oh, especially with TV, actually, with TV, uh, the moment you have a segment about abortion, everyone turns it off. That's that's the conventional wisdom about it, at least. So, uh, here we go. Next up, Chris writes: Truckers don't have holidays. Enjoy your day. I'll be behind the wheel. Well, Chris, thank you for keeping America moving and supplied. Appreciate it. Kevin writes: Hey, Buck, uh, can we grab drinks tomorrow afternoon? I just got into D.C. for a Heritage Fellowship. Just throwing it out there. Let me know. Uh, Kevin, really appreciate it, buddy, but I am going to be trying to go up to uh, New York for at least part of this week, so I don't think I'm going to be in town. 
but we will see. And thank you for the very kind offer. And if I wasn't, uh, well, I'm not allowed to talk about my schedule anymore, nor am I allowed to talk about any sense of fatigue, because I am here. I am rocking and rolling in the Freedom Hut. We don't talk about, it's, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But thank you, Kevin. And if I'm around, I'll certainly reach out and we can hang out and talk some more. Cheryl writes, real news, yes. That is where I first saw you and was relieved to find true conservative values in the next generation. I loved that show, and I'm glad to hear good things have come to the careers of those who were part of it. Please, Buck, take care of yourself. You're doing great things in radio and TV, but you need time to rest and renew. Hopefully that's coming. Um, And she says, now you know how the parents of newborns feel. Cheryl, thank you so much for your kind words and your support. And, you know, in this business where you get a lot of, you're constantly told you're, and I'm sure a lot of you have this in whatever business you're in, right? Whatever, whatever you do, you know what I'm talking about. Rejection. You have to get not just used to rejection, but embrace rejection as a necessary part of the learning process. For me, it's one of the most, one of the most important parts of, uh, of maturation, of, of becoming a, a fully functioning and you know, well-adjusted adult. It's just you, you get people that tell you no. You get people who tell you you're not, you're not good enough, you're uh, not smart enough, and gosh darn it, people don't really like you. I mean, that, especially in my business, but I know it's true in a lot of businesses. You're always going to be told no, no, no. Uh, But I have the great advantage of doing this show and speaking to you, uh, just a group of people that I have come to to know one by one into the now, you know, football stadiums uh, worth of of people who listen to this show uh, in terms of the size. But I've gotten to know the kind of people who listen to this show. I've got to know some of you on an individual basis actually pretty well. And you all are amazing. So and you're very supportive and kind and um and brilliant and you all give me actually you know sometimes people write and they say that i give them hope for the future and that's very kind and i appreciate it but actually the people who listen to this show are the reason that i think we're all going to be okay because i know you all are the ones that are actually manning the front lines of freedom in your own ways in your towns and cities across the country and you're good people and you're kind and you actually care about what's happening to this nation and you want to help everybody and do the best you can day in and day out i mean i'm if that sounds a little corny folks i apologize but it's really the way i feel uh and and as somebody who's dealing with things in the in the tv world i can tell you tv world is disgusting i mean the stuff you have to deal with the people you have to deal with a lot of the time look there's some amazing people too right but you know you're you're up you're up against it and it's not fair it's not right uh Radio for me is the purest connection uh, for somebody who has a message and really wants to become, or really wants to have an, an, an audience that's like a, an extended family. So uh, that's my way of saying this is what I look forward to every day. So thank you so much for spending your time with me. Um, we are going to have a special show tomorrow. Uh, it is 4th of July, so we'll pull together a, a best of, uh, which will be, the best we can make it. Uh, I'll certainly be back with you live here in the Freedom Hunt on Thursday. And then the godfather, Michael Pelka, will be in for me this Friday. I have some uh, business to attend to. Uh, so you'll have the godfather, Michael Pelka. Everybody have a very happy 4th of July. Have a great holiday with family and friends. Really, really please enjoy yourselves. We'll see you back here in the hut. As always, Shields High. 
You're going to have peace of mind if you have a good security system, but you're not going to have peace of mind if your security system company isn't dealing with you fairly and is trying to get you jammed into a long-term contract where they're just extracting fees without giving you service. Forget all of that. I have Simply Safe at home, and Simply Safe has revolutionized the home security business. The interface is incredibly easy to use. You just download an app, you set it up in your home, it runs off the Wi-Fi. Folks, if you can run a smart TV, you can run Simply Safe. I do it, and I can't recommend it more highly to you. Go check it out for yourself. Learn more about Simply Safe today at simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck to protect your home and family with an A plus home security system, simplysafe.com slash buck. No contracts or hidden fees. It just is the best security system you can get, the easiest one to use, and the best customer service. Simplysafe.com slash buck. 